0: Would you like to turn with me please to uh, the book of Daniel I want to read to you this morning from Daniel 2 It's uh, quite a long reading this morning I'm going to read uh, 45 verses of the chapter So uh, please bear with me But uh, I know that um, you know there's really nothing here that I want to leave out uh, So it's important that we read through We get a, a good perspective of the passage and what... Uh, god is going to teach us uh, about this morning if uh, you prefer not to uh, read along you can follow along in the uh, on the screen behind me we're in daniel chapter 2 and i'm going to read the first 45 verses in the second year of the reign of nebuchadnezzar nebuchadnezzar had dreams spirit was troubled and his sleep left him Well, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, "'The word from me is firm. "'If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, "'you shall be torn limb from limb, "'and your houses shall be laid in ruins. "'But if you show the dream and its interpretation, "'you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. "'Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation.' "'Well, they answered a second time and said,' Let the king tell his servants to dream, and we will show you its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation." The Chaldeans answered the king and said, "'There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, "'for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing "'of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. "'The thing that the king asks is difficult, "'and no one can show it to the king except the gods, "'whose dwelling is not with flesh. "'Because of this, the king was angry and very furious "'and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed.' So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. "'To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, "'for you have given me wisdom and might "'and have now made known to me what we asked of you, "'for you have made known to us the king's matter.' And "'Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, "'whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. "'He went and said thus to him, "'Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. "'Bring me in before the king, "'and I will show the king the interpretation.' Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and thus said to him, "I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation." The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, "Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and in its interpretation?" And Daniel answered, and the king said, answered the king and said, "No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers." can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. And now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, And into whose hands he is given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things." so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we um, come humbly before you now and ask that you might help us to come to grips with this passage in a way that we see, we see you first and foremost. We see the one true and living God, the God who holds all things in his hands. And in that we remember, Lord, that we, your people, are in your hands as well and that regardless of all that we see around us, regardless of all of the uh, the workings of man, that you, O God, are the one who is like a big orchestra conductor, conducting all things. And it is your story that is being worked out in all of history. And Lord, as we remember this, we remember that Lord, we are to submit humbly before you in all of our lives. We pray you'd help us to do that. Amen. You know, when it comes to passages such as this in Daniel 2, the danger is, is that we can, we can kind of get bogged down or focused on the, the, the secondary things, the things of less importance in this particular passage rather than the primary Over the years, people have kind of read over this passage and their attention has been drawn particularly to this image that Nebuchadnezzar had had that was given to him in this particular dream of his... And in being drawn to that particular image, they've then tried to determine the events surrounding end times through sort of trying to work out, you know, what the uh, the various parts of the image sort of refer to, what powers they refer to, and then you know how can they sort of all piece it together so it sort of gives us you know a, an insight into what God might be doing then and also in the in the future. You know, we want to know you know when Christ will return and how things will be played out when He does return. And there's been endless speculation about, you know, what earthly powers correspond to the various elements in this particular statue. Some we are actually told, and we see that here in in Daniel 2 and again later on in Daniel 8, we're told that the gold head of the statue refers to the Babylonian Empire, King Nebuchadnezzar and his empire. The silver chest and the arms refer to the Medo-Persian Empire, the next powerful empire that would come after the Babylonians. And we're told that the bronze stomach and thighs refer to the Greek Empire. Again, that would be the empire that would come after the Medo-Persian Empire. But that others we're not told specifically. But some consider the iron legs to be that of the Roman Empire, which, which um, proceeded after the Greek Empire. But then there comes a real kind of... Uh, a lot of conjecturists about what the iron and the feet uh, refer to, powers that resulted from the, Ro- the remnants of the Roman Empire, and you know, the ten toes and that sort of thing people have considered to be the European Union and all these sorts of things. There's an old saying that a person can't see the forest because of the trees. Have you ever heard that saying before? Yeah. B- basically means that we get focused on the smaller picture rather than the larger one. And so this morning I want us to take a step back in order to see that larger picture, that bigger picture, rather than get bogged down in all the little minute details. And that bigger picture is this. Mankind will do all within their power to build their kingdoms. But ultimately, there is only one kingdom that will endure, and that is God's kingdom. And it's in this kingdom... And it's King, Jesus Christ, that we need to put our trust, our hope, and our confidence. This particular chapter naturally divides itself up into three sections. And so we're going to look at this passage this morning in those three sections. The first of them is found in in, in verses 1 through 13. And I've entitled that, The Futility of Relying on Man's Wisdom and Skill. The second section is is found in verses 14 to 30, and I've called that the one who reveals true wisdom. And uh, the third section is in verses 31 to 45, speaking of God's powerful and enduring kingdom. So we're going to look at this uh, passage under these three headings. So let's look at the first one this morning. If you're taking notes, uh, that's, uh, that's how we're going to look at it. At the beginning of this passage in Daniel 2, what we, we, we see is, or well, what we read are these words. It says, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he had a dream. But not just one dream, it was a recurring dream. And his spirit became deeply troubled and, and sleep left him. You've got to wonder what caused Nebuchadnezzar to have such a series of disturbing dreams surely he was a man that had very little to worry about the king had it incredibly good he was now into the second year of reigning over the most powerful nation that the world had ever known under his leadership, the Babylonian Empire extended from the, from the, the Euphrates River, or from, if you like, from modern-day Iraq, right the way through to Egypt and down into parts of Saudi Arabia and up into Turkey. He'd conquered many lands. His wealth and his power exceeded anyone who had ever gone before him. The city of Babylon was a, a city known for its uh, great uh, learning, its architecture and its beauty. Um, some of you might be familiar with the ancient wonders of the world, ba- the, 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 the uh, Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of those ancient wonders of the world. As a leader and as a man, Nebuchadnezzar was popular, he was admired, he was respected, he was feared. There seemed that, there seemed that nothing from a worldly point of view could challenge him and his power and yet as one commentator puts it he says this day after day nebuchadnezzar woke up haunted by an ever vague yet ever growing suspicion that his personal well-being and the security of his kingdom were threatened by something beyond his control something from beyond the visible sphere of this world He felt increasingly insecure, and as his uneasiness grew, his sense of frustration and his anger also grew. He was a king who faced an incredible crisis in his person. And no matter how much power, no matter how much wealth that he had at his disposal, no matter how much so called human wisdom was sought, it all proved absolutely useless. The man with the most powerful army in the world, the man with the most prominent position in the world, the man who was probably one of the wealthiest in the world, a man who had at his disposal all this collective wisdom of all these advisors before him, nothing could help him. Nothing could help him. What it reminds us is is this, that ultimately the passage points out that although we would like to think as human beings that we ourselves are makers of our own destiny and that human wisdom and human activity are the ultimate determiner of our lives, Nebuchadnezzar found out that that was all just an illusion, an absolute illusion. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. And one minute we can be doing very well And the next, the unexpected, turns our world upside down. Whether that be a health crisis, a relationship breakdown, the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, disaster, devastation and disillusionment can strike us without any warning. You know, there are some things in this world, aren't there, that we just fail... To really sort of try and make sense of, aren't they? Just like Nebuchadnezzar's wise men, they couldn't make sense of this. They were at a loss to help their king. And as we see in Nebuchadnezzar's response, I think it's pretty natural because when things don't go our way, it's easy for us to get angry, it's easy to start blaming others. And it's easy to lose hope. Nebuchadnezzar was a man in need of something or someone greater than himself. And we are just like him. We ourselves find that when it comes to living our lives, we need someone greater, something greater than ourselves. So in verses 14 to 30, we see the one who reveals true wisdom. Nebuchadnezzar is so frustrated he's these so-called men of wisdom and the fact that they cannot resolve his plight that he orders them all to be killed. Verse 12, because of this, because the wise men couldn't help him, because the wise men were at a loss, because of Nebuchadnezzar was a loss in, in any capacity, to be able to determine what the cause of this dream was. It said that he became angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. Now remember that Daniel and his three friends are considered to be part of these wise men. These were guys who were actually in training to become you know, people who would stand before the king and try to answer all these questions that the king had. Daniel and his three friends found themselves an incredibly... Perilous situation. But as we see in this passage, it is Daniel who comes to the fore again. And we're told that he acted prudently and wisely. Then Daniel replied with prudence in verse 14 and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, the one who had actually gone out to carry out the king's orders to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he comes to him and he, and he says, What on earth is going on? Why does Nebuchadnezzar want to kill all of these wise men? And, of course, Arioch tells him that the king's had this dream and, and no one can, you know, can give him the, the interpretation of it. No one can even tell him what the dream is all about. And, and so Daniel goes to the king and says, I need some time, just, just a point of time when I can come before you and tell you what your dream is and what the interpretation is. And so obviously the king agrees. And what does Daniel do? He immediately goes home and he makes known what's going on to his three companions. To Hananiah, to Mishael and Azariah. And he calls them together for a prayer meeting. Together for a prayer meeting. They immediately take their situation to God. As we as we read that particular verse, it reminds us as the people of God that we know there are so many things in our lives that we can struggle with, that we can fail to make sense of. That first and foremost we should, as God's children, go first to Him, and bring these things to Him. How many times I know it's been you know the reality in my own life. How many times do we sort of try? to sort of try and muddle our way through relying on our own abilities, our own wisdom, our own resources and that sort of thing. And then when all else fails, then we finally fall on our knees before God. When reality is that that should be our first course of action, to come before him. What does it say about us if... And What does it say about our understanding of God? If we're to, we try and do it all in our own strength first and then use God as kind of like the backup afterwards, it says that we don't believe that God is God. In fact, we actually put ourselves in God's position. And we kind of treat God as this kind of insurance policy and, and, uh, and someone who we, you know, will, will, will kind of hopefully back us up when, when everything else has failed. When we treat God that way, it kind of says that we really don't have a lot of confidence in God. And if we don't really have a lot of confidence in God, then how on earth can we tell a world around us for themselves to have confidence in this same God? I find it interesting that here is a man, a kid, the, you know, this King Nebuchadnezzar, Notice the difference in the demeanor between him and Daniel. You know, here's the king. He's got this recurring dream, and he's he's at his wit's end. He's frustrated. He's angry. He's he's an, an, he's anxious about you know about what this particular dream is and what it means. And then there's Daniel, who all of a sudden his life is threatened. When the king made a decree, it was carried out. There was no questions, there was no if, buts, or maybes, it was done. There was Daniel, his life was at at that particular point in time incredibly at peril. And yet it's Daniel who's the calm one. And Nebuchadnezzar who's the one who has got great fear. And that calmness, that ability to be able to you know, act with prudence and, uh, and, and discretion in, in this particular instance because Daniel has got this incredible trust in God. Now what, what, an, what an amazing witness for God, isn't it? And when we're faced with crises and that sort of things in our lives, what a great witness we can be for God if we have, if we have that right understanding of God and that right trust and confidence in Him. What an amazing witness that can be to those around about us. How many times do we forsake that witness by trying to do it all in our own strength? They take the situation to God. Philippians 4, 6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving let your requests be known to God verse 19 then tells us that God reveals to Daniel the details and interpretation the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and it came to Daniel in a dream of his own then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night and Daniel blessed the God of heaven the result the, the, the result of God revealing this wonderful uh, you know, God's, God's plan and purposes to Daniel, the, the king's dream, to Daniel is results in this wonderful song of praise from Daniel to God. We see that in verses 23 to 23. And you know, of course God could tell Daniel a dream, couldn't he? Because it was God who had actually given Nebuchadnezzar the dream in the first place. So that got me thinking as I was preparing the message this week. Why would God do that? Why would God tell, give Nebuchadnezzar this particular dream? Have you, did you ask yourself that question as, you, as we read through the passage this morning? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a child of God. He wasn't, he wasn't part of God's family. Why give this... And, and believe me, Nebuchadnezzar, under his army and under his, his, his rule, a lot of people suffered... Incredibly. Why would God give Nebuchadnezzar this dream? I believe it's because God was showing grace to Nebuchadnezzar. He wanted him to know the one true God, the only God. And not only to know God, but to trust in him, not in his own resources. God wanted Nebuchadnezzar to know that he... Alone is the true source of wisdom. To recognize that he is the God who determines the destinies of men and that he is the God who knows all things and controls all things. It's interesting that in this particular passage, that, uh, that Daniel says to, uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, in verse, uh, verse 37, he says, "'You, O king, the king of kings,' Says, you're the one to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory. And it is into your hands that he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, giving you rule over them all. God had given Nebuchadnezzar all of this power. He had put Nebuchadnezzar in this position of prominence and he wanted Nebuchadnezzar to know God because, that. I don't know whether you pick it up or not, but that particular um, section there takes us, should take us all the way back to Genesis 2 where God says to Adam and Eve, I'm giving you all dominion over the earth to go and rule it under my authority in my name and to do it in a way which honors me and pleases me. And God wanted Nebuchadnezzar to rule in that way. He wanted him, he said, you've got all this power that I've given you, but use it in submission to my authority and use it to be a blessing. But in order to do that, you need to know me first, Nebuchadnezzar. And so he gives him this dream. Isn't that amazing? That the the, the, the grace of God would do that to this particular person? But then it shouldn't amaze us because that's what he's done for us. Because even though we weren't kings, we were certainly rulers of our own little kingdoms. And God has spoken into our lives. And he says, I want you to know me. I am the the true King of kings and Lord of lords. And I want you to to know me. I want you to live in relationship with me. And I want you to live live your life in submission to me so that your life will then be a blessing to all those around about you. Because I want to bless them through you. And you know what? Even today, God... Is about revealing himself to people, and in some cases, in parts of the world where the gospel is, is where these cl- countries are closed, the gospel God is even doing it through dreams today. He's actually speaking to people in their dreams. It's interesting I'm reading this particular um, excerpt this week about this uh, Muslim fellow and uh, talking about you know, how, God, how he encountered God and he, and he said that it is simply a fact that dreams are an important element in the testimonies of many Muslims who have come to faith in Christ but then he goes on to say this which i find really really encouraging he says however the impact of most dreams is to encourage the individual Muslim to become more open to hear about Jesus from Christians to visit a church or to read the bible for the very first time he says usually dreams in and of themselves do not have a fully fledged gospel presentation and they do not replace the need for a human witness or the scriptures god could act in that way but he wants to use his people in the process and that's how we use daniel here the king had a dream but God didn't reveal in that particular dream to Nebuchadnezzar, you know, about his sin and how he could become a Christian, but he but he showed he led this man to Daniel who could then tell him about this wonderful God. Romans chapter 10 says this, how then will they call on him whom they have not heard? In other words, how will people hear about God? the one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? In other words, Paul is saying here, how are people going to hear the good news about God? The only way they're going to hear it is through those whom I sent. And we are those people, folks. You and I are those people. And you have got an incredible range of Of people within your spheres of influence whom God has sent you to. Just as Daniel was God's man of the moment in that particular day, in that particular situation, you are God's men and women and young people of the moment in your in this world today, in our time and in this situation, in your situations, in order to tell people the good news about God whether that be through the spoken word or whether that be through how you live it out in your lives. You know, we don't need to rely on dreams and visions because we have God's revealed word to us and we can know God and what his plans are through reading his word. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 7 to to 10 says, In him, that is Jesus... We who have believed in him have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. And the mystery of his will he he then gets to where he says, and this is it, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. God has revealed to us the mystery of his will. God has revealed to us what he's about in this world and that is that he's bringing everything and everything in all of history is all working together to one day bring everything under the authority and the submission to Jesus Christ. And some will do that gladly and some will do that reluctantly. We can make known God's plans and purposes to those who do not know it. And here we have Nebuchadnezzar looking for answers and Daniel was able to provide them by pointing him to the one true God. And folks, there are people out there today searching for answers and we have the answer in Jesus Christ. We've just got to point people to him. And that leads us to that third section, God's powerful and enduring kingdom. We see that in verses 31 forty five see Daniel made known to the king that the ability and the wisdom that he displayed in revealing the king 's dream to him and the interpretation was not something that he'd concocted in his own mind but it, it was something that God had personally revealed to him. We see that in verse twenty eight and verse forty five of our passage he said the king declared sorry the, Daniel said to the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Ne- he's saying, Nebuchadnezzar, you know what? The God who is the one true God, the, the living God, the God who is the one who knows all the mysteries He has taken a personal interest in you and now he is going to explain to you what this dream is all about that he gave to you. God had an interest in Nebuchadnezzar. God had a love for Nebuchadnezzar, the same as God has a love for all mankind. And he proceeds to tell the king the vision and what it means. And he basically, in this vision, what he's saying is that the king, powerfully powerful earthly kingdoms like Babylon will come and they will go. Powerful earthly kingdoms that we see in our world, powerful earthly you know, institutions and, 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 and thinking and that sort of stuff that we have in this world today will come and it will go. But there is another kingdom that is more powerful than any of these, a kingdom that has its origins not through men. It speaks about this stone not cut by human hands. And, of course, it's speaking about Jesus who will bring God's kingdom about. In passages in the New Testament, we see Jesus referred to as the cornerstone. And this kingdom, God's kingdom will bring other kingdoms completely undone and ultimately it will be a kingdom that grows and fills the whole earth. That one day, all that will be left will be God's kingdom. It'll be a lasting kingdom, an enduring kingdom, unlike all the others. And folks, when we're faced with a world that seems so incredibly powerful in its ways particularly in its growing influence and its opposition to God and to his people, we can take heart. We can take heart that God will bring these kingdoms to an end as well. That his kingdom will come. And in fact, it's already here and it's already growing. It's growing in the hearts of people where god's rule is being worked out in their lives where they submit to the authority and the rule of god in their lives that is god's kingdom and power at work and the more that we come under that rule and that reign the more that we submit to our lives the more the kingdom is being displayed the more of god's power and glory is being revealed The wisdom that we're given to proclaim the gospel is often seen as foolishness to the world. Listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say to it, writing to the Corinthians. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, speaking about God, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks demand wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles alike, it is Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We may think that the gospel is perhaps not the most valued message that the world will see around us. It may not be the most wise message that the world around us believes. It may seem foolishness to many. But God says, but it is only through the gospel, only through the gospel, that the salvation of God is revealed, made known to men. And when men are changed and transformed and brought into a relationship with God it is only through the gospel we have no other message to preach folks that's it there is no other message 1 Peter 2 4-8 to says this as you come to him a living stone, rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, speaking about Jesus. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, A cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so the honour is for you who believe. The honour is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has indeed become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. And folks, we can expect that Jesus will always be to some this stumbling block and a rock of offence. Always. It is on the rock alone, the rock of Jesus Christ, his personhood, and his mission, his, his death, resurrection and glorification back there in heaven. It is on that rock that all will be broken. Some will be broken in a way in which they are brought to their knees in submission and recognise that Jesus is indeed the King of kings and the Lord of lords and they will fall on their knees in submission and adoration and praise. But there will be others whom that rock will fall on and will crush. And as is revealed to Nebuchadnezzar, they will be the ones that will be turned to chaff and be blown away. It is on the rock of Jesus Christ that we are either broken on or we're broken by it. This statue here in this passage doesn't only represent political, philosophical and cultural kingdoms, but what it can also represent is our own personal kingdoms, our lives. Whether that those kingdoms are built up from a domestic, a social, a financial, a religious perspective. Whatever ways we are building a kingdom and we sit enthroned in those different areas of our lives, Jesus is saying here, that if we put our trust and hope in the things that we are trying to build up in our might, in our abilities, in our resources, and that they do not come under the authority and the reign of God, then we too can expect that they will fail us. They will ultimately fail us. Everything, everything must, according to God, Make way before the coming of his kingdom. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. This dream is certain and its interpretation sure. God's word is the only word that will stand forever, it is firm and secure and certain. God's plans and God's will are certain beyond anything in this world. It is firm and secure and it will come about. So perhaps we would do well this morning to remember the words of the prophet Jeremiah, who's, who, who prophesied during this time when the people of God were in exile there in, ba- in Babylon. He said this in Jeremiah nine twenty three to 24. He says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. And let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts... Boasts in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in all the earth. You know what the wisest thing in all of the world is today? the most precious treasure that anyone could have in this world today, it is that they understand and know God, that he is the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in all the earth. And his son has come and he has died And he has defeated death by rising from the dead. And he is now seated at the right hand of God in all glory. He is the one who is reigning even today. And he's our saviour. Is he yours? Is he yours? Let's pray. Father God, this morning we uh, we cannot help but be amazed at who you are. Here is this man, this king Nebuchadnezzar, who has the world at his feet, who has everything, all that we might want today in this world. He has. And yet we see in this passage that it all meant nothing. What mattered most was that he knew you. And he humbled himself before you. And even at the end of this passage, in these last verses, we see that even when confronted by this wonderful... uh, um, display of your power and glory in Daniel telling Nebuchadnezzar the, the dream and its interpretation. Although you claim that you, that you, God, are real, He would seek to honor Daniel above you. Help us not to put the things of this world before you in our lives but indeed, Lord, for us to humble ourselves come before you and lay all of our lives before you, surrendering everything about them to you. Because it is only in that that we will find hope, peace, joy, and fulfilment praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.